Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Let's start actually toward the end of Romans chapter 3, do a quick review. Uh, Verse number 29, the Bible says, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. And so we looked at this and we said, look, there's not. (laughs) Paul brings up this interesting argument at the end of chapter three. He's not arguing for justification by faith because he already completed that thought at the end of verse 26. So what he's doing is basically bringing up an argument that a Jew would never argue. That there's two gods. No Jew would ever say that. Yet he's bringing that point out to tell them, look, you guys are arguing that if you think there's a God for the Jews and a God for the Gentiles. And so that's what that ending of that passage is. God can't have two opposing views of justification. Amen. He can't. Amen. There's not one God for Jews and one God for Gentiles. There's there's one one God. So verse 30, seeing it is what does it say? One God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision by faith. So that was the ending of chapter three. And now we're starting verse number one of chapter four. And the Bible says, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father, hath pertaining to the flesh, hath found? He's going all the way back to Abraham because he's trying to show that this really isn't anything new. How is Abraham justified? And that's what this introduction of chapter four is. Because a Jew would glory in Abraham, wouldn't he? Abraham, our father. And we need to be careful to make some practical application that we don't do the same thing. Well, my father, I was brought up by Christian parents or my church or my preacher or my Demonation or whatever. whatever. You see, we need to be careful that we're not pointing to the same thing that Paul's trying to point out to the Jews not to point to. We don't point to anybody but Jesus Christ. But the Jews thinking, what do they have? They They have Old Testament scripture. They've got promises. They've got a host of history behind them and lineage behind them. That they could point to as their nation beginning with Abraham. So Paul's asking, well, what did he find? What advantage? There wasn't an advantage. You got a guy that was both a Gentile and a Jew. You got a guy that was uncircumcised and circumcised. You got a guy that can basically double dip on both. And yes, there's one God. But the works of the law didn't justify him because from Genesis 12. To the law, you had 430 years with no law. So we all should know that. Look at verse number two. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. And if anybody could be justified by works, the Jews would point back to the head of their nation, Abraham, and... Any of us could glory if it were works. A matter of fact, that's kind of how we live our life. Glory. We go for a job interview and we're going to tell the interviewer, this is why I should get the job. This is why I'm better than that guy. (laughs) This is why sports teams have recruiting. 
so that everybody could go and brag how fast they pitch the fastball, how far they can throw the football. Everybody's trying to boast to the coach or the recruiter or the boss just how good they are, and we do that. We just better not do it before God. And this was Paul's trying to help everybody out with. Because if Abraham did have something to glory of, and if we did have something to glory of, guess who would get the honor and the merit? It wouldn't be 100% God, would it? You'd be careful of those things. It's all God's glory. But Abraham, Abraham believed God. You could say belief is this. It's the only thing. It's doing the only thing a man can do without doing anything. Is that a fair way to say it? God makes a promise. Abraham believes that promise. Now what happens? It's up to God to fulfill that promise. And that's what we see. It's an attitude that's responding to God. In other words, your heart's turning away from you and it's turning toward God. Now go to James chapter 2 because doesn't the Bible say that Abraham was justified by works? Well, it does say that he was justified by works. So which is it? Let's find that out. James chapter 2 verse number 21. The question is opposed. Was not Abraham, James 2 21, our father justified by works? When he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar, seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Well, what's that? Well, you got both of them there, but Paul is teaching that you're justified before God by works. And James is saying the opposite. You're justified before man by works. So you're justified two ways. After a man is justified by faith before God, do you know what he can do and he should do? works before men so that he can be justified before man. How are we justified? The better question is, how are we justified before God? How are we justified before man? We have to split that question into two. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, and I put my faith and trust in Christ, that faith was invisible to man, but it was not invisible to who? That'd be God. It wasn't invisible to him. You started doing some good works. I hope you did, because your faith should manifest what? Good works. Yep. Yep. And guess who sees that? Man. This is why it's hard for unbelievers to take a so-called Christian serious when they're living like the devil, yet they're trying to tell someone about Jesus. And to that lost person, there's a bit of a disconnect. Sure. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful of that. Look at uh, chapter number three, Romans chapter number four, chapter uh, verse number three. 
verse number three. And might as well get Genesis 15 as well. Genesis 15. Get two of those places and we'll gather the thoughts together. Romans chapter, all right, verse number three in Romans chapter four, it says, but what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Well, what saith the scripture, Genesis chapter number 15, let's look at verse, uh, let's look at verse number, number two, let's start there. And Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. I've got material things. I've even got good old Eliezer, my servant. But that's it. I don't have, I don't have a son. Now, when you read verses 2 and 3, He's got some doubt there. And there's really, I guess, two types of doubt. There's a doubt that denies. That's a tough person to reach. But then there's a doubt that desires. How many times have you spoken to someone? They're doubting what you're telling them, but you can tell by the way the conversation is going that they're desiring some more. So doubt is okay. You just have to help guide them through that. And so keep that as a principle for, for your witnessing efforts. Some people aren't doubting as a denial. They're just, they're just, they're just doubting. Because they desire to know more and they got to work it out in the mind. Uh, get down to verse five. Uh, let's see here. It says, and he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them, and he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. See what the Lord said? And I watch what happened in verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Something was credited to Abraham that he didn't have before. Abraham. And Abraham can glory in that. Right. He's not glorying in him. Because he really don't have anything to glory of. Remember in the 12th chapter, he's got a mess going on in Egypt. Tell the, tell the Egyptians, yeah, Sarai is my sister. And man, what a, what a low down. What husband would do that? Abraham would, okay? He, he did that. He allows his wife to be taken into Pharaoh's house so he could live. Genesis 16. He, he's, he's cheating. He's cheating on his wife with his maid. Well, whose idea was that? Both of them. Thought it was a grand idea, but it wasn't a grand idea. I don't know how Abraham could be justified by works when he really didn't have good works. You wouldn't hold him out. Anybody want to invite Abraham for the marriage counseling or, or the, uh, the, the annual marriage conference? That would bring in good old Abe. We'd bring him in to show us that's the guy to not listen to. That's the guy to not follow his example. 
does the same thing by the time he gets to Girar in chapter 20. He's pulling the same scheming things. Nah, that's not my wife. That's my sister. I'm recommending to myself and to all of us husbands, that would be a real bad thing to do. <laughs> that would be an unchristian thing to do. So if Abraham is justified by his works, then he's not justified because he doesn't have any good works. But there was a time when what? He believed God. Was there a time in your life when you believed God? That's what this is about. God saw what was invisible to man. It was his faith. That's what God saw. You work 40 hours a week. You put in your overtime. You make more sales than anybody else. And at the end of the month, you get a plaque. It says salesman of the month. And you put it on your wall and you can show everybody that comes into your house that you're in the million dollar club. Great. Before man, that's great. That doesn't do anything for you before God. This isn't about don't try to make achievement down here. This is that your achievement down here can't merit you anything. You work 40 hours at the end of that week, your boss owes you a wage and he's going to pay you that wage. You don't show up for work. This might not be the best analogy in today's day and age because nobody really shows up for work like they used to. But imagine not showing up for work, but the boss comes to your house and gives you a pot of money. He don't owe you that. He's just giving that to you. That's us before God. God is not in debt to us. We are in debt to him. Yes, sir. Pretty, pretty simple. That's why you can't earn it. Because if you earned it, it wouldn't be a gift. All right, let's. Did Paul already prove that all are under sin? Yes, he has. Did he already prove you cannot attain righteousness by works? Yes. If Abraham's righteousness, I want you to stay with me on this thought. If his righteousness was based on his act of faith, then you can say faith is a work because his act of faith caused his justification. Are you staying with me on that thought? Our response to God is not a trying, it's a trusting. We are trusting in him to deliver what he promised. If you respond to God or if I respond to God with, God, give me what I've earned, then the only thing God can give us is death because the wages of sin is death. God, I acted in faith, so therefore you owe me grace. I hope that's not our attitude. I'm trying to split some hairs here to bring out a point. I did an act of faith. You did an act of faith. I hope our attitude isn't, you see, God, I did the act. So now you owe me grace. It's a different attitude. Reformed theologians would say this. Salvation is monergistic, not synergistic. Mono meaning one, synergistic meaning two or more involved in it. And in one sense, they're right. In the other sense, they're wrong. They're wrong because the error that they start off with is they want us to define faith as a work where it's something that man does. So what happens is people set up presuppositions 
and then they require you to accept their presupposition. And so they will say to you, do you see how you had faith? You That was a work, and now you are playing a part in your salvation. You with me on this train of thought? God can't be forced to give you grace. He offers it freely. God, you're obligated to give me grace because I, it's me, God. After all, it was I that acted in faith. It's a false dichotomy when you set up two options. You got option A, option B. You have to choose one option. And that's what happens with this monergistic, synergistic argument that reformed theologians would come up with to make you think that your faith is actually a work. You don't define it as a work. It's not defined as a work. God made a supernatural promise to Abraham. Abraham believed God's supernatural promise and he did not contribute. I am not contributing in any way to our salvation. All throughout the scripture, what do we see a clear distinction made biblically of? Faith versus what? Works. You can't miss that contrast. It's contrasted all throughout the Bible. So for somebody to bring up an argument and say, you have to accept this presupposition because I'm saying or I'm putting forth. It goes in direct opposition to the clear distinction made all throughout the Bible that faith isn't a work. You don't look to God and say, you owe me because I. You don't do it. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, verse 4, but of death. Now people don't like that. They get into it and they want to get out of it, but they don't like that. Because when they get too far into it, they see they can't get out of it. So they like to buy stuff. People like stuff. And they can't control their impulses. And they haven't learned to do things on their own, so they're always paying somebody to do something. And and they eat too much. <laughs> Fast food's expensive. People just eat. They, they, they just spend way, way too much money. They end up in debt. And part of the reason they end up in debt is because they don't understand how money works. Now, if you had $40,000 in the bank and you had to go, it was time for you to go buy a car. And you said, you know what? I'm going to pay for this car in cash. Because I have the cash. I'm not going to ask a show of hands who would say that, but many people would say that. You know that why they would say that? Interest. Because they don't want to pay interest. In other words, I've got all this money here, and I don't want to pay interest and have that debt of interest. So I've got the money I'm going to pay for. It. The only problem with that is they fail to ask the opposite question. I don't want to pay interest fails to ask this question of I don't want to earn interest because money works both ways. Are you saying there's a right and wrong? No, I'm not saying there's a right or wrong. What I'm saying is there's another side to thinking about money. There's another side of thinking about debt. If you spend that $40,000, one thing you got to think about is it's all in your car. <laughs> you don't have any other money anywhere liquid to do anything with. The other thing you got to think about is this. 
if the money's liquid, what if I could put that money into something else that would allow me to earn more interest? So you got two thoughts you got to think about. One is, okay, you don't want to pay interest. Nobody does. But the second thing is, what if I could pay a little bit of interest, but I could still get a better return on interest somewhere else? When you spend all that money, now you can't do anything else with the money. What should I do? I'm not telling you what to do. The point of the analogy isn't to tell you what to do or say one is right, right is one, or one is wrong. The point is I'm trying to get you to think about money and debt and the way it works in this world. Okay. Life insurance. And my friend tells this story. He said, look, he told his wife, he said, honey, when I die, you got to make sure you got onions in the pocket. You're rubbing them on their eyes. And at the funeral, you better make it look like you're sad and upset and crying. And she's like, well, why? And he brings up a life insurance policy. She goes, he goes, this is why. It's going to be payday for you, baby. <laughs> you're going to be one happy lady. Now, you know what? That's an example of money working in a way that doesn't cause debt, it actually allows the person to be free of debt. What husband would want to leave their wife poor? What husband would want to leave his wife having to go out and get a job because he was the provider? What husband would do that? Well, there's a way where she's not going to be able to have debt. Why do I give that example? Because there's many ways to look at money. What does that have to do with the Bible? Husbands, how's your wife going to get that life insurance money? You're going to have to die. How are you going to have your sin debt paid for? Christ had to die. And the debt was paid. And I'm telling you on the cross of Calvary, it was payday. And he paid our debt. People need to start looking at the cross through different eyes. We know doctrine. We know. And I'm not saying this in a bad way. We know what the Bible says. We re better really get a hold of what happened on that cross. Yeah. A debt was paid that you couldn't pay. You couldn't work it off. And what was in the cup is what you were saved from. Yeah. You shouldn't be afraid of the devil. You should be afraid of the wrath of God. It's a fighting on ungodly sinners who refuse to come to him. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Know what he said? You could be spiritually free from death. God wants to credit your account. And with salvation, it will be counted unto you. It will be bestowed as a favor given by God. Let's get back to Romans chapter four. Why don't we look at verse number five? Watch what the Bible says. But to him that worketh not, but to him that be anybody that worketh not, but in other words, 
on the other hand, believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, that be you and I, his faith, his faith is counted for righteousness. Your faith is not a work that made you righteous. I did the act of faith. God, you need to now make me righteous. That's not the way it works. God accepted Abraham's faith. And God, by his grace, you know what he decided to do? Count it for righteousness. And I am afraid that too many Christians have this idea that we can just come to God and as an act in faith with the motive or the presupposition of the attitude that says, God, now you owe me grace. God said he'd do something. You respond in faith. And God now is going to make another decision. He can either save you by his grace or he can drop you into hell. Your act of faith didn't save you. God's grace saved you. And we we're all saved the same way by God's grace. Our response should be a response of faith. Justification is not offered to a worker. Justification is offered to a believer by faith. That's what justification, that's who justification is offered to. Doesn't matter what sins you've done. It's not about a prayer you repeat. It's not about any of those things man can do. It is about God's justification by grace. Go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse number 10. Ephesians 2, verse number 10. It doesn't say, for we are our workmanship. Good night. That'd be a horrible thing. It says, for we are his workmanship created in who? Christ Jesus unto good works. That's where the good works come in. Because quite honestly, the good works that we do before we get saved, the motive behind them are so wicked that we can't even go to the depths of our heart to figure it out. The reason why we do good works isn't even right before we get saved. But after we get saved, we're created in Christ Jesus under what? Good works. We yield to him and his Holy Spirit. That'll help work out the motives that they're right. Be honest, some of us do good works just because people are looking. Am I, am I right? Just have some kids, and they'll teach that whole concept to you. They're only being nice to sister. Sister's only being nice to brother because ice cream's held out as a reward. I'm going to get a pool. I'm going to get to go to the lake. I'm going to get some ice cream. I'm going to get... You're not doing good works for any other reason but for your own simple pleasure. And that's what we do before we get saved. We just do good works because we're trying to get ahead in life. God says he created you unto good works. There should be a whole different looking view toward it, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Are you walking in good works this morning? Are you walking in good works this morning? Okay. All right. Okay. What if I said to you this? Three free donuts. 
if you buy three donuts at the six dozen regular price, at the half dozen regular price. That's a pretty good ad. Get three free donuts if you buy three donuts at the regular half dozen price. You didn't get a deal. <laughs> it just should have put the price of what six donuts are. You didn't get three free donuts. You paid for six. And I'm telling you, I think too many people are deceived into thinking they're getting a deal on their good works and they're not. <laughs> they can't present that to God. Religion will tell you, do a list of works. A Buddhist will tell you not to eat bugs or not to kill bugs or not. Religions will tell you, do all these good works. And at the end of it, it's going to be a hopelessness. There's not going to be anything there. You got duped by a scammy ad. You're not going to be reincarnated to a better you by just living a good life. Not going to happen. Let's go back to Romans 4. Romans chapter number 4. Last verse, we'll finish up here. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. God justifieth the ungodly shouldn't be read as, well, you see that? God justifieth the ungodly. So it really doesn't matter that I live in sin. What? The whole idea, that, that whole idea that would even come into your mind, you would ever you would even think that, you would even state that tells me that you have no idea about just how ungodly you are in comparison to just how gracious God is. Oh, well, God just justifies the ungodly, so what do I have to worry about? I'll just live in sin. Dumb thought. Don't think like that. That's not the character of God. God justifies the ungodly. It doesn't say God's going to justify the man that does good works. It doesn't say God's going to justify the man that joins the Peace Corps and does all these social programs. It's not. It's ungodly. But I've got religion where you need God. This morning, if you haven't seen yourself in the ungodly class, maybe it's about time. Maybe it's about time. Put yourself in the ungodly class. If you've not been convinced Convinced or convicted of your guilt before a holy God, maybe this morning, it's the morning you would be convinced and convicted of your guilt before a holy God. Put yourself in the ungodly class. Put yourself in the state of utter helplessness before a holy God. We're all going to leave this world someday. You can't stop it. You don't move from the ungodly class. To where God says, I count that man as, as, as justified. He just sunk. And the religion, the good works, none of that's going to merit you or I anything. Justify the ungodly. You've not trusted him this morning. It'd be a great morning to do so. Let's bow and pray. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.